that was, you were on it. <laughs> morning, morning. <clears throat> well, good morning again. Uh, my name is Nate. I'm one of the pastors here at Community. It is a blessing to be with you all uh, present this morning, but also, um, as many of, of us are, are aware, uh, we do a live stream and a video of uh, our services. And so, welcome to all of you who are tuning in via live stream. And I've got this sense from the Holy Spirit. No, I'm not even going to joke about that because it's not real. I got a text message. Um, Welcome, uh, Trent and Lynn from Southwest Florida. I hear that you guys just need Jesus real bad, so (sighs) receive. But also, uh, welcome Alex and Donna and Trent's poppy joining us from South Florida. And now, I don't know if this is possible, but can we do this? This is going to be fun. I know all of you are thinking, oh no, what's he doing? Um, Matthew, if we have a wide shot of this for live stream. It'd be awesome to go to this. If not, this is going to look really silly. But can everyone just like turn and look at the camera and say hi to Trent and Lynn this morning? Just wave. Greetings. We miss you. Okay. That was really, really fun, but awkward as well. (laughs) So thanks for participating. And I know right now Trent is going, that kid. Yeah. (laughs) Welcome. Glad you're with us. Today is the first Sunday of Advent. The first Sunday of Advent. Advent is those four Sundays leading up to Christmas that you may be aware of. And Advent simply means the coming or the arrival, right? Advent simply means coming or arrival. There's a variety of ways that people uh, participate in Advent. There are different traditions and different ways of doing this. And one one of those ways, if you're familiar with, you you know those those windows, right? Like the advent calendars, got the windows, the 24 windows that you can open up. And when you open up those windows, sometimes inside there's scripture, sometimes inside there's a story or a poem, or the ones that we always get my children have chocolate inside, which is the same somehow. And as we open these doors, these windows, excuse me, of this calendar, we grow closer to Christmas and we grow in expectation. We grow in anticipation for the coming of our Lord. And it's the same kind of anxious anticipation and expectation that believers have felt for as long as we know. This eager waiting for a Savior. And for us, it's the eager waiting for Jesus' return. Another popular tradition um, is progressing through the season with an Advent wreath and candles such as this one. Um, And each Sunday, we light a different candle culminating on Christmas Eve or Christmas, depending on how the calendar falls, with the center candle, the Christ candle. And now what I love about this tradition is as the season grows, this this theme from the scriptures kind of comes out in this this light, ever-growing light that takes back darkness. Darkness can't stand against it. Christ is the light. We just sang that, right? And through us and through his kingdom spreading, light takes back the darkness in this world. And we see that in the Advent wreath as we wait for Christmas. We see a gospel, a growing light, a gospel that is promised to us, a gospel that is already, but not yet, completely fulfilled. Now, many of us grew up thinking the Advent story began in a stable, right? But today, on this Sunday, I'm going to contend that Advent actually started 
in a garden many, many, many years ago. It actually all begins in a garden. You see, when God created the world, all things were just as it should be. Creation functioned in perfect order, according to God's beautiful design. Humanity walked in this unbroken and unseparated relationship with our God. There was a complete unity. Humanity was fully known and fearless. We had a walking, talking, knowing, loving relationship, unity with the creator of the universe. Now, if you've been with us for a while, you've probably heard those words before, a walking, talking, knowing, loving relationship with our maker. Those words, they define unity. They define the relationship that God desires to have with us. But even more than that, they define the relationship that God offers to us. And this year, this Advent, those words are going to define our journey to Christmas. Walking, talking, knowing, loving. We're going to follow that road to Emmanuel, God with us. But I'm getting ahead of myself because, as I said, it all started in a garden where things function in perfect order. But in an instant, that all changed. It all changed as humanity disobeyed God's good instruction, right? For the first time, not for the last time, for the first time. And humanity took of the forbidden fruit and they ate and sin entered the world. Fellowship was broken. Peace was shattered. Creation thrown into chaos. Darkness, depravity, fear, shame, selfishness. Those things all filled the human heart. Separating man from God. Broken relationship. A bitter disunity. The situation put it mildly, was disastrous. But right then, from amongst the darkness, in the face of calamity, God spoke. A word of hope. A savior would come, born of a woman, to defeat the enemy and deliverer God's people. This man would defeat the enemy and deliver God's God spoke. He spoke hope. And we all know what happens when God speaks, right? Now I'm going to forewarn you. I tried this with the first couple services. They didn't go well. Follow my lead. Can, can we do that? When God speaks, things happen, right? Yes. He said, let there be light, and there was? Light. Oh, you guys are awesome. And to be fair, I did warn you. God speaks, says, let there be light, and there is light. So when he speaks and says, let there be hope, there will be hope. Yes, there will. Yes, there will. So let's read these words of hope together. These spoken words of hope from the one who speaks and things take form. We're going to read a passage that many of us may be familiar with, but I urge you today, listen with ears of Advent. See it with eyes of Advent. May God give you a new perspective on this truth that is never changing. But before we dive into that, let's pray, 
shall we? And then we'll get into it. Father, we thank you for your word. How, is it, how it is alive and it is well. Show us this morning the way that we should walk in it, the way we should, we should live in it. Show us your truth and your love and your spoken word. Not that we may leave here more informed about the things that have happened and the things you have done, but that we may leave here more transformed to look like you, more conformed to be just like you, Jesus. So Holy Spirit, stand in my body, think with my mind, speak with my mouth, so that you and you alone may be glorified, and you may grow us up in the way that you intend. We pray these things in your name, Jesus, because it's the name above all names. Amen. Genesis 3. <clears throat> we'll begin at verse 7 and read to 15. Now, we're kind of jumping in in the middle. This is, this is the garden. This is the fall. And this is right as humanity takes a bite of the forbidden fruit. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, them being the humans. And they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I, I was naked. And so I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this. Cursed are you above all the livestock. And all the wild animals, you will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Quite the Advent passage, isn't it? <clears throat> Humanity is existing in the Garden of Eden, the first place that life resides in human form in all of creation. It's a place where God's kingdom reigns. And God and his creation, his creation being those who are made in the image of God, in the image of God he made them, male and female. God and his creation have intimacy. They have this walking, talking, knowing, loving relationship with one another. But there's one rule, there's one parameter, there's one guideline, there's one good instruction from the Lord. He says, eat of all of it you can have until you are stuffed. But that one tree, that one forbidden fruit, just that one, don't eat from that. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Eat everything else. Have what you wish. And what happens? A serpent slithers in. And as we know, the deceiver, what does he do? He deceives the deceiver deceives. 
It's interesting, as we look at the whole of Genesis 3, and we heard some of this today, every time God is referenced, he is referenced as the Lord God. The Lord God said this, the Lord God did that, the Lord God proclaims this, the Lord God, the Lord God, the Lord God. There's one time in Genesis 3 where the Lord God is not referred to as the Lord God. He's called God. And that's by the serpent. Now, it'd be easy for us to say in our English, well, yeah, obviously, uh, God was not the Lord over the serpent, and that's true. But as you may know, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, right? It's the original language. We translate it into the English today. And Hebrew names, they had a significant meaning. And our names have meanings too, right? I mean, each of our names, if you look at the origin, they all have different meanings and understandings, and that's all true and great. But Hebrew names had a different meaning sense of meaning. There was like a definition, a defining aspect of the names of the Hebrews. Let's consider Jacob, right? Some of you may be familiar with the story of Jacob. He's the one who wrestled with God, and he grabbed his heel and said, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Jacob actually means holder of the heel. And then when God changes his name, he changes it to Israel, which means may God prevail. Hebrew names have a deeper meaning than our English names. But that wasn't just true of people, it was also true of God. The Lord God in Hebrew is Yahweh Elohim. Yahweh Elohim. Yahweh actually, it has got a lot of meanings, there's a lot of depth, a lot of understanding to it, but some of the underlying infiltration of meaning, some of that stuff that kind of sits at the bottom, and this is some of the core of what Yahweh means, is God's goodness, his goodness, his love. His righteousness, God's goodness, is one of the biggest things communicated through the name of Yahweh. And Elohim, Elohim is God's greatness, his vast power, his supreme authority. The Lord God is the good and great God. And so why doesn't the serpent say God is good? Because he's the deceiver. And ultimately, this is what he's communicating to humans in the garden. He says, so, uh, so the great one doesn't want you to eat from that tree right there, right? So the great one doesn't want you to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Okay. Really? He must not be that good then. Why would he give you all of this and not that one? I mean, he doesn't want you to eat from that one because you're going to be great just like him. You're going to have the knowledge of good and evil. It really can't be that bad, is it? He can't be good if he's not going to let you eat from that tree. He just doesn't want you to be great. Surely nothing bad's going to happen because Elohim is not Yahweh. And humanity, deceived by the craftiness, eats of the tree. And at the moment they tasted the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the unsatisfying sweetness dripped down their chin Their eyes were opened. They were naked. They were bare. And so they grabbed some fig leaves, which are about the size of a hand, and they sewed them together as quick as possible to make some kind of a garment, some kind of a cover for their nakedness. They felt ashamed, which literally, I mean, it sounds like, oh, they made themselves some nice little outfits. No, this is the equivalent of this. It's the first time that anyone ever covered up, right? What are we going to do? Grab some fig leaves. They didn't have a sewing machine. And then they heard it. 
in the moment of covering up, of shame, of fear. They hear it. And what do they hear? The Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, walking, walking. And now what happens next, many scholars, most scholars, in fact, will refer to as the Protus Evangelium. It means the first gospel. What happens next is the first gospel. Because from the first moment of our need for rescue, the moment sin entered into humanity's nature, the moment after the choice to disobey God's one good instruction, the moment when shame fell like rain, when God's glory was the only thing that reigned for days before that, when shame and despair hit humanity, God was there. And he came with a promise. Because he is Yahweh, Elohim, good and great. And before he dealt with the consequences for Adam and Eve, which we knew they were, we know now that there were some, he goes to the serpent. He goes to the deceiver. Because he has to let them know sin will not have the final say. Because the broken relationship between man and God is not acceptable to our good and great God. So he goes to the deceiver, and he says, deceiver, I will put animosity between you and humanity, and there will be offspring, one offspring in particular. He will come from a woman, and you'll strike his heel, but he will crush your head. Now that's a promise, the promise of a savior. And throughout the Old Testament, God spoke to his people, reminding them of this promise, redirecting them to this promise. Do not forget this promise. And he gave them little, little bits throughout history so they'd recognize that the Savior's coming. God revealed that the Messiah would be born of the line of David, of the tribe of Judah, in the town of Bethlehem. That he'd be born a man of sorrows, crushed, despised, and rejected. A light overcoming the darkness. A preacher of good news to the poor. And one walking in the power of the Spirit. There were hints and shadows of this Savior everywhere. The promise of Emmanuel. God with us. God with us, not for the first time, though. God with us as it was in the garden. Born in the line of David of the tribe of Judah in the town of Bethlehem, meaning that he will be present with humanity. He will be present. Your Savior will come and be with you. A man of sorrows, crushed, despised, and rejected. Your Savior will experience the hardships, the hurts, the emotions the same things that you experience because he will be fully human. But also a light overcoming darkness, a preacher of good news to the poor, walking in the power of the Spirit because the Savior, Jesus, isn't just fully human, he is fully divine, the God-man. 100%. Hypostatic union is what they call it. It's not 200% God, it's 100% God, 100% man, 100% Jesus. Drives math majors crazy. And why did he have to be both? Why did Jesus have to be fully man and fully God? Why? So he could walk with us. 
so that Jesus could walk with humanity just as God did in the garden. Now that's a promise. That's a promise of a Savior, of our good and great Lord God walking with us. So what happens? Humanity waits. We get the promise of a Savior, and humanity waits. It's an eager waiting. It's an anxious waiting. Hurry up and wait, right? It's like every checkout line around the Christmas season. Hurry up and wait. Let's go get everything we need so we can wait in line for twice as long as we've been in this store. (laughs) Nate, why do you buy everything on Amazon? Really? Can you imagine this paradox, this eager anticipation, this eager waiting? (laughs) God's people enduring cycles of war, rebellion, captivity, restoration. War, rebellion, captivity, restoration. War, rebellion, captivity, restoration. Over and over again, doing their best to hang on to this promise of a Savior. But the thing is, they're human, so they forget and they turn away. They forget and they turn away and they believe in other things and they forget about God and then they deliver, they're delivered again to the understanding of this promise of a Savior. God delivers them and then the cycle repeats and they end up turning away again and he has to deliver them again and it's back and forth. The cycle is never ending, it seems. They need to be delivered from this separation from him, this separation from God, this lack of relationship, this lack of a walking relationship with their creator. Can you imagine the hopelessness that would have slipped in over the decades and centuries that this took place? Because it wasn't like a savior was promised in Genesis and then by Exodus they had a savior. I mean, the next book is called Exodus. Years of no savior even though the promise was made by the one who speaks things into existence. I bet we can all actually identify with that kind of hopelessness, can't we? That feeling of being helpless and alone and desperate need of rescue, especially when it comes to the weight of sin because sin is heavy and inescapable, isn't it? And it's not just our own sin. I mean, our our own sin is heavy and inescapable, but it's other people's sin too. It gets so heavy and it's inescapable. And the truth of the matter is, I want to run to God and I want to escape this sin. But the problem is when I'm left to my own devices, I look back at that sin and I go, I don't like you, but I'm I'm coming back for you. And I come back to it because I return to my sin even though I hate it. Uh, Of my own will, of my own volition, I am helpless. I cannot save myself. We understand that helplessness. And I bet we also know what it's like to forget God's promises. Because this world and this culture, it shows us something and we go, well, that's the way. Well, that makes sense. Well, that looks good. Only to find out as we run it down that this world, this culture is just as fallen and just as broken as I am. And it didn't fulfill me. In fact, it left me ruined. And we find ourselves doubting God's goodness in those moments. How could God be good if he allowed all this pain? How could God be good if he allowed me to hurt like this? And we overlook his promises. Because this life is so full of disaster that how could God be so great? but not be so good and allow this. And there's the lie. 
the first lie that was told in the garden. That God, he may be great, but he's not good. And the deceiver still deceives us today. But that's the beauty of all this. What? Yeah. That's the beauty of this season that we celebrate. Because the story of the garden doesn't end in man's rebellion. The story of the garden doesn't end in our rebellion. The story of the garden ends in his redemption. I'm going to say it again. The story of the garden doesn't end in our rebellion. The story of the garden ends in capital H, his redemption. That's the story of the garden. That's the story of Advent. Brothers and sisters, the king is coming. Jesus Christ has come and will come again. Jesus' name. Check this out. Jesus' name. I talked about Hebrew, right? Hebrew names. We talked about Yahweh and Elohim. Check this out. Jesus' Hebrew name. Yeshua. Yeshua. You know what it means? Yahweh is salvation. In the garden, the deceiver tells us that God is Elohim, but not Yahweh. And we lose the goodness of God, and we say he's great, but he's not good, so I'm not going to follow him. I'm not going to stay connected to him. And Jesus' name is literally the goodness of God is going to be salvation. And what is that salvation? A connected, walking relationship. His presence with us. Jesus, God, man, present with us. Walking with us. But it gets better than that even. Because you're saying, I don't, I mean, Jesus isn't with me right now. True. We don't have body Jesus right next to us. I mean, it'd be cool. But it'd be crowded. And so this thing that we've been deceived of, craftily deceived of, that God isn't good and, and, and he's great, and so we can't walk with him because we're separated, Jesus comes back and he dies and he's, and he's resurrected and he ascends to the right hand of the Father. And but... But what he does is he says, hey, all of those, all of you who believe, it's actually better for you that I go because I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'm coming back. But instead, you are going to get Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is going to come with you. Emmanuel, who is Jesus, God with us, actually says, I'm going to send you God in you. God, God with us is going to send you God in you. Because we are the temples of the Holy Spirit. The presence of God resides in us. We are the residents of his presence. And so I know we talk all the time about, well, how's your walk with God? Are you walking with God, getting the word, getting your devos, do those things? Have you gone to church? There's a lot of things, right? I think go to church is you listen to enough sermons online. I'm not saying those things are bad, but we're worried about our walk with God and we forget the promise of the garden that God walks with us. This is the hope of the church. This is the hope of you and I, whom Jesus purchased with his blood. Jesus, he came and he will come again. But he's always been about reuniting our walking relationship with our God because he is our treasure. He is the greatest good. And until he returns, he walks with us. Gather that. Until he returns, he walks with us. 
So no matter what pain you're living with this season, because I know Andrew mentioned it, Greg mentioned it this morning, it's a suffering season. No matter what pain and what suffering you're living in this season, no matter what hurt you're wading through, what humiliation you're haunted by, just like in the garden, in that moment when they bit of that forbidden fruit, where they disobeyed the one instruction and shame fell, in the moment of your pain, your hurt, your struggle, God is present, walking with you. So we are the residents of his presence. And he made a promise. It was a promise of hope. And when God speaks, it happens. Because he is good and he is great. The goodness of God is salvation. So this Advent, I want you to remember with your eyes and your hearts that first Advent, that first promise of a baby joining this world. And I want you to, to, to think of the second advent, the, the coming again of Christ. But I want you to live in the walking presence that we have with our creator. Holy Spirit in us. Resurrection power and advent hope in us. It's a season of remembering and rejoicing all because of this little baby named Yeshua. And God wanted to walk with us. God is here. So practice his presence. He is the with us God. He is walking with us always in his goodness and his greatness. And so it's only fitting that this morning, on the first week of Advent, when we talk about the presence of God, that we have the opportunity to commune with him to connect with him in spirit and in truth. So let's do that. As we head into this Advent season, but, but, but really as we head from this part of our existence forward, may our blessing be a, a more profound awareness of the greatness of the Father, a more profound awareness of the goodness of Jesus, and a more profound awareness of the presence of God through the Holy Spirit in us now and forevermore. Amen. Go in peace.